So today's the 19th Sunday uh, that we've met as the found community and we've been going for four months now which I kind of feels like a short time but a long time at the same time. Um, and as I said this is also our last gathering for 2016 before Christmas and New Year break um, and we'll gather again on, on the 8th of January. Uh, but over the past two weeks um, we've talked about what it might mean that God is for us and, and Kevin shared a, a great message and led a really interesting conversation around that and last week we talked about what it might mean that God is with us and we talked about how God is for creation and we talked about an understanding of what it might mean that God is amidst creation and essentially experiencing creation and so today to kind of close out that series and uh, conversation, I'd love us to talk about what it might mean that God is in us. And so Mina's just read a a great uh, couple of verses out of Genesis chapter 1 and uh, also in the beginning of Genesis chapter 5 where we read essentially the creation story. We read that God creates humankind, he creates male, he creates female, and it, it says that he creates them in his image. And, and in this um, kind of narrative, there's actually no mention of hierarchy. It, there's this sense that both male and female created in God's image are created equal. And the word Adam that is actually used uh, here is actually a collective term. It's actually a term given to human creation collectively, to both male and female. It's not a gender-specific term. And this is the account where the Latin phrase, you've probably heard this phrase before, imago Dei comes from. Imago Dei, which literally means made in the image of God. And over the centuries, both ancient and contemporary scholars have kind of argued about and postulated what this statement might mean. What, what does it mean when it says that we are made in the image of God? And opinions have ranged from a very literal translation, uh, this sense that it's a literal creation of humans to look like God, the face of God, through to um, more the nature of God, the character of God, and even in the context of the eternal nature of our souls. If we jump forward to the nativity, if we jump forward to the Christmas story, then we find the concept of God in us in both a literal and a metaphorical sense. And what we read in the Gospel of Luke is that a young, unknown Jewish girl becomes the vessel of Christ, becomes the vessel of the Messiah, literally. Literally holds the Son of God. She's the physical vessel in which Jesus is conceived. She's a physical vessel in which Jesus is born. And also in her humility, also in her willingness to serve, we perceive that Mary is Christ-like in her character. And for me, the significance of this account, the, the account of, of the conception and the birth of Christ in the context of God in us, I don't think it can be overstated. What we know is that by law, Mary could have been stoned to death. So even though Mary and Joseph were essentially uh, married under Jewish law, they had yet to live together, they'd yet to uh, essentially consummate their marriage, consummate their relationship, and Joseph was certain that he was not the birth father of this child. 
this was scandal. You know, if we had social media back then, it would have been all over Twitter, would have been all over Facebook that, you know, this, this was going on. And so what Joseph had resolved to do was to divorce Mary, just kind of on the quiet, so as not to draw attention to her, not to draw attention to her situation, which would have resulted in a trial, which quite likely would have had the outcome of capital punishment. And so I see this too as a very kind of merciful and Christ-like approach from Joseph, who essentially thinking that Mary had cheated on him, still wanted to maintain her honour. What changes that situation for Joseph is a visitation from an angel, but what we also see is that it doesn't really kind of get much better from there, because they travel to Joseph's hometown, the town of Bethlehem, for the Roman census. They arrive to a town that is booked solid, Airbnb, no chance, and essentially there's no guest room available. So Mary gives birth in a stable, Jesus is placed in a manger, which is essentially a feeding trough for horses and cattle. And this is really a less than auspicious beginning for the Messiah in many ways. And so what we see is that this controversy, this scandal, is really the entire circumstance on which the Christian faith is founded. And I think if we gloss over that, I think if we sanitize that story, then I think we miss something really quite remarkable. I think that in looking in that story and understanding that story, that if we ever feel inadequate, if we ever feel unworthy, if we ever feel ashamed, if we ever feel flawed or broken, uh, if we ever feel condemned, then I think we only need to remind ourselves of, of who God chooses. I think we need to remind ourselves of where God resides. God, God is clearly amongst the broken. God is amidst the poor. God chooses the weak. God chooses the unknown. And then if we look at Matthew 25, the, the scripture that Jemima read, Jesus shares a story that identifies the hungry, the thirsty, the unknown, the, the destitute, the sick, and the imprisoned as directly representative of himself. And in many ways, this too is a profoundly significant account of God in us. What this communicates to me is that God is not just for the poor and the excluded. God is not just um, with the broken and the outcast, but even more than that, the unknown and the forgotten people of the world are, are actually being framed as a representation of Jesus. And so when we grasp the significance of the Imago Day, when we grasp the significance of being made in the image of God, when we grasp uh, the value and the worth that God places on the discarded people of society, when I look at all that, I have to wonder in my own frailty, and uh, if I look at it honestly, how it is that I so frequently get it wrong? How, it is, how is it that I so frequently consider myself better than other people? Or how is it that I'm so uh, hasty to draw conclusions and to judge other people? How is it that I'm so quick to determine who's on my side and who isn't, who, who is part of my tribe and who is my enemy. And to be completely open, open and honest with you, I frequently used to think that I was better than other people, a lot of other people. 
And occasionally, if I let myself, I still go there. I, I, f I feel like sometimes I work harder and I pray harder and, and I uh, believe that I, I think more deeply than some other people. And, and that's what I thought. That somehow there's this, even though we're made in the image of God, that, that probably there are some people that are worse off or worse than uh, than I am and that probably I am better than them. Until I came to realise that quite obviously such thinking is sheer arrogance and in many ways sheer ignorance and the older I get, hopefully the wiser I get or at the very least I realise how little I actually know about anything and I think the more it is that I yearn uh, for simplicity of life, the more it is that I yearn for simplicity of relationship. And the conclusion that I increasingly come to as a process of kind of working through that is that relationship really is everything. It's everything. Our, our entire beings, our entire biology uh, are a complex relationship of, of atom, atoms and cells and matter that that somehow works to form each of us. And our minds are this complex relationship of, of intellect and reason and memory and experience. And essentially, life is relationship. You know, we think we're sitting still. The reality is, is that we're currently on a planet that at our current latitude is spinning at approximately 1,100 kilometers an hour. So we're spinning at 1,100 kilometres an hour where we're sitting right now, the planet is anyway, and the planet is circling the sun at approximately 107,000 kilometres an hour. You think about that. You think about the relationships that the planet Earth has with the moon, has with the sun, has with the solar system, the, sol the, the relationship that the solar system has within the galaxy that it resides, Absolutely, thank God for gravity. It, 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 my little brain struggles to fathom how that even works, how it is. I think so, yeah. Yeah. And so our relationship with creation, our relationship with our creator, um, our relationship with ourselves, our relationship with each other and, and with the other is this very complex and varied thing. But I would suggest that how we understand that and how we conduct ourselves and how we uh, engage with and respond kind of amidst all these relationships should ultimately reflect the image of God in us. And as I shared last week, I think that often, especially for me, the most dangerous place for Christians to inhabit in their thinking and in their worldview is this place of comfort and this place of safety this place where we're detached from the suffering of others. And look, I, I don't know if this is a reasonable conversation. I don't know if this is just because it's towards the end of the year and I'm tired and I'm a bit feeling a bit Scrooge-like. My wife can probably attest to that. But I, I often wonder when and how it is that Christianity became mostly about having a nice life. And I, I often wonder whether we've just kind of bowed to and aligned ourselves completely with the capitalistic consumer society that we live in. And I'm not saying that there's, there's a problem with those things, but I think how we relate 
to consumerism and, and whether we allow consumerism to numb us and uh, to numb us to the people and the relationships around us is a really important consideration. I believe that me particularly am uh, most open to God and God in us when we're in a place of humility. And I think that God in us should, should break down tribalism. I think that God in us should, should prevent walls of exclusion being built up around our life. I think that God in us should, should tear, the, tear down the paradigm that God is somehow for me, but not for someone else. God in us should, should remove the comfort and the safety of this concept of an individual consumer God, because if we're all created in the image of God, then all people have equal value and worth. And if all people have equal value and worth, then, then exploitation becomes a very difficult proposition. We've got a great example over here with, with the jewellery for, for Destiny Rescue. People are exploited in the context of them being perceived as, as having less worth. And when we believe that some people are more important than others, when we believe that some people uh, are more powerful and, and have... Uh, greater needs than others, then we get scenarios like the exploitation of women and children. But when all people have equal value and worth, then I think that other people's suffering becomes more real and other people's suffering becomes more personal. When all people have equal value and worth, the fact that I have access to exceedingly more food and more water than I can physically consume in my lifetime and yet two-thirds of the world's population don't have enough access to food or clean water, then, then this becomes almost intolerable. It, it's, it's more than problematic. It's a significant moral issue. And so God in us should cause us to consider the other. God in us should cause us to consider also the wonder and the mystery of life rather than us kind of create these arbitrary walls of us against them and, and create these kind of pillars of absolutism. Um, I don't know if I've shared this before, but I really like cities. I got to visit New York City this year and I loved New York and um, part of the rationale of, of planting found in Kangaroo Point, um, other than the fact that I like people watching and uh, I also enjoy the opportunity to engage people and, and discover a bit about their story, um, but part of the rationale is that there's actually more people in a single square kilometre in Kangaroo Point than in any other square kilometre in Brisbane. And so, yeah, it's this high density area. Um, and so I think because of that, we are in cities never without an opportunity. We're never without an opportunity to be reminded of and to encounter the image and the wonder of God. We're never without opportunity to find God in the broken, to find God in the lost, and to find God in the unknown. There's a great quote, I posted on Facebook today, but there's this great quote from Tim Keller, and he says this, To be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. 
It is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense, it humbles us out of our self-righteousness, and it fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. A lot of people have actually commented to me, particularly in the last few weeks, um, and some of them are quite close friends, that 2016 has been the worst year ever. It's, it's been the most horrible year. And um, in their context, I, I can understand that. Um, that. The reality is that we, place, we seem to place a lot of hope on this arbitrary date of January 1, that somehow what is really ju just, as I said, an arbitrary date will kind of reset everything. I said to them, whilst being empathetic to their situation, that if they're just holding out for January 1, it's actually not going to change anything. Which probably wasn't a very comforting thing to say, but it won't, it won't. I I'm sorry to say that we actually have to be deliberate. We actually have to deliberately reset it if we want 2017 to, to be a better year than the one that has just gone. And I would suggest, and I wasn't this callous in my conversation with them, but I would suggest that actually what might drive change in our world is God in us and, and a revelation of the Imago Dei. I think, I think God in us should stir in us and form in us what it might mean to be, as Tim Keller says, what it might mean to be fully known and truly loved and to somehow discover this in and for the people around us, and, and to discover this in the other. I, I think God in us should do that. And so my hope for 2017 for each of us, and for our communities, and our workplaces, and the, the friends and families that we have, is that each of us would be fully known and be truly loved. That, that's my genuine hope and prayer for 2017. May it be so. May it be so. Some questions. Question number one. Do you believe that all people have equal value and worth? Regardless whether you believe that or not, how is that reflected in your lifestyle choices and relationships? Question two. If life is relationship, are there relationships in and around our lives that we would like to be more aware of or understand more? And question three, is it possible to be fully known and truly loved and have you experienced this in your life?